please uh, open your Bibles. I'm going to give you some options. Genesis 1 or Revelation 22. Pick one of those and open there. And then the other pair, choose one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 2. 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians 2. This morning we're looking at being fruitful, uh, continuing that theme, looking at um, the importance of the Holy Spirit in our churches and in our individual lives. The title is actually Spirit-Empowered Churches. Um, Genesis 1 verse 2. We're going to look at four opening verses. I want to catch the, the, the breadth of what Scripture says about this rather than just looking at one passage. Genesis 1 verse 2, what does it teach us? Does it teach us that the Holy Spirit showed up in the 1960s with the charismatic renewal? No, there he was hovering over the unformed earth. Revelation 22, 17, just a few verses before scripture ends. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Wasn't it great yesterday when Donnie said, uh, we're friends of Jesus, and he said, why are we still sitting on our chairs? This is another one of these phrases. My body, P.J. Smythe, is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. And then Ephesians 2.22, in him, corporately now. Corporately, not just PJ, but us, we are being built together. Your local church is being built together into a dwelling place for God in which just the gospel is preached, just mission is done. No, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's a huge theme. The Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit is such a huge theme in Scripture, not to mention being a full member of the Trinity, that it's no surprise that one of our five foundational imperatives, values, is spirit-empowered. And we talk about how we think it's appropriate for individuals and churches to be in intelligent and eager pursuit. In fact, the other way around, eager and intelligent pursuit of the presence, power, fruits, and gifts of God's Spirit. Let's talk about that under three headings. Firstly, the privilege of being spirit-empowered. Don't want to just dive into how you do it. and The privilege of spirit-empowered, then uh, spirit-empowered churches, and then spirit-empowered individuals. So the privilege of spirit-empowered, for me, I'm amazed at the dispensation we live in. You know, if you think of the journey of God's presence, uh, hovering over the unformed earth, then in the garden... And then things obviously got tricky after the fall. Uh, we've, got, we've got God appearing in the, the bush, the burning bush to Moses. Then we've got Mount Sinai, uh, Exodus 19. It says, the Lord descended on it with fire. And as just, just two books into the Old Testament, we realize there's a big emphasis on the Spirit being in a place. Garden, bush, mountain. Tent, Exodus 25, verse 8. God says, have the people make a tabernacle, a tent for me, and I will dwell among them. Do you remember they they called it the tent of meeting? 
So John might say, uh, have you met with God? No, I wasn't able to go to the tent of meeting. So I couldn't meet with God today. Next week, I hope to go to the tent of meeting. I go to a place to meet with God. Mountain, tent, a box, 2 Samuel 8. Just in that little uh, contribution in worship. Don't touch. Those were the days of the spirit is so strong in that box and that place. Watch out. And then to the glorious temple, 1 Kings 8. Solomon said, I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. The glory of the Lord filled his temple. That's why they said better is one day in your courts. I would rather be, I'd rather be just outside the doors. I'd rather be a doorkeeper because there was a geographical intensity about where the presence of God was. It was better than on the mountain. Psalm 68, the Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. But then something wild begins to go down as you get to the the prophetic books towards the back end of the Old Testament. They start to say things that make you think it's going to move from a place to a people. You think of uh, Ezekiel 36, I'll put my spirit in you. He's talking about a time. And for us, we're quite familiar with it. I don't want us to lose the privilege of it. But for them, it was moving from a place to a people. How was this going to happen? John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water. This final prophet who sneaks into the New Testament. I mean, not the final, final prophet, but of the run of prophets towards the end of the Old Testament and now the New Testament. I baptize you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's how he said that. That's how it's going to move from a, from a place to a people. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This was fresh news to them. It wasn't about a place. It was about being baptized as people. And then Jesus, he just couldn't resist. John chapter 7, on that last and great day of the feast, he stood up and cried out with a loud voice, Anyone thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Full stop. He spoke thus concerning the Holy Spirit, who had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And then once Jesus was glorified, taken up, Acts chapter 1, not not many days later, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was given. And they asked Peter, what's going on here? And he said, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, admittedly, that's not not the strongest argument (laughs) for for Australians. We've got a couple of Aussies in our mix. (laughs) Yeah, I just wanted to have a little dig against the Aussies. It's not such a strong argument in South Africa. He said, Joel spoke about this. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. People, not place, people. The age of the spirit has begun. And the apostles got this. Peter said, 1 Peter 2, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. Paul, you're being built together to become a holy temple, a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We live in the most privileged dispensation. Passionate, grateful, the privilege of spirit-empowered. Part two, spirit-empowered churches. What do they feel like? I just want to bomb through a few things. I'm sure almost all will be familiar to you, but I think it's good for us to say them together, especially just at the beginning 
of, of our journey. Spirit-empowered churches, what are they like? Well, firstly, they are Christ-centered, Jesus-glorifying. Ephesians 2.22, in him we are being built into a temple. God lives in by his spirit. In him, Acts 16, the spirit is even called the spirit of Jesus. Pentecost, the spirit comes, tongues, fire, uh, um, winds. And minutes later, Peter is preaching about Jesus. The aftertaste of a truly spirit-filled church will always be Jesus. Secondly, uh, it'll be a church, a community of people that is supernaturally unified. We're told in Ephesians 4 to maintain the unity of the spirit, i.e. the existing unity of the spirit. I'm so grateful when it comes to something as pragmatic as unity, and sometimes it needs to be, you need to be very disciplined in being unified. These two couples who we've just heard from, they've been so godly and disciplined in their unity. What a, what a delight for them both to say, we have unity of the Spirit. To embrace that. It, it fortifies them for unity. We're not trying to make it, we're trying to protect it. That makes, I feel sacred about unity. You know, we want to be very slow to speak badly of others. And don't speak badly of other churches. These are temples in which God lives by his spirit. We preserve the unity. Thirdly, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered churches should be holy. There's a clue in the name of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Ezekiel 36, the spirit gets put in us and moves us to follow God. I'm so grateful how the Spirit works on our desires and sharpens our consciences and gives us an increasing appetite for obedience. So grateful for the Helper who helps us in many ways and helps, helps us love Jesus and hate sin. Fourthly, Spirit-empowered churches will not overstate buildings. Uh, one of the sadnesses is that, that maybe hyper-charismatic or certainly you know, white shoes, white trousers, white jacket, sort of charismatic, often have the phrase, you know, the sanctuary and overplay and have amazing buildings, but often overplay that. I think, no, no, you know, we're the ones who are being sanctified. Um, we don't want to overstate buildings. Thank you, God, for buildings. We want them to be comfortable and we want them to, to honor God. But the buildings contain those that contain the Holy Spirit. Fifthly, spirit-empowered churches won't overstate Jerusalem or Israel. Certainly, Israel has such a key place. I'm so grateful that Israel's God has become my God. Israel has such a key place in God's purposes. I'm so grateful that some of us feel a particular burden to pray for and to minister to Jews. We have friends in Johannesburg who are Jews who don't know Jesus, and we have friends who are Jews who do know Jesus. And um, some of us will have a particular unique burden in that regard. But because of the the spirit, the work of the spirit, the center of the action is now no longer Jerusalem uh, or Israel. The church is now the center of the action with a new Israel and the new temple of God. Next one, we would, we would be a gift-based, we would have gift-based leadership. We would be gift-honoring, gift-aware. John Stott says, the New Testament never contemplates the grotesque situation in which the church commissions and authorizes people to exercise a ministry for which they both lack the divine call and the divine equipment. 
One of the main things about being Holy Spirit is we become very pragmatic in a spiritual way that we're saying, who's gifted? Who's gifted? I mean, to listen to Mike and Edwina very securely say, their gifts are better suited to the next season of the church. That is, that, that, you might not think that's charismatic. That is totally charismatic. That's exactly what we mean by spirit empowered. He didn't shake as he said it. He just, they lived it out, you know? So we observe the grace of God, the gifting of God, and then we appoint. And it's just so freeing when you do it like that. It takes personality out of it. It's just everything's a grace gift from God. You're more gifted than me. You do it now. Uh, next one, spirit-empowered churches will be alive but safe. Just a little snapshot, 1 Thessalonians 5:19, to illustrate alive but safe. Do not quench the Spirit's fire. I mean, right there, you've got the kind of churches we want to be. Spirit's fire. Don't quench it. Whoa, alive. Do not despise prophecy. And we could turn to 1 Corinthians 14. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Not fit them in if you can. Eagerly desire. But then it says, uh, test everything. Isn't that great? Oh, what a relief. <laughs> it's not just crazy. It's, it's be wise eager and intelligence, test everything, hold fast to the good. The Bible assumes that as we attempt to eagerly and intelligently pursue the person, presence, power, gifts, and fruit of the Spirit, that we won't always get it right. That's why it says, hold fast onto the good. The bits that isn't good, don't get all hung up about it. You know, you got something wrong. <laughs> of course we did. <laughs> hold on to what is good. Next one, spirit-empowered churches will be innovative. Uh, one of the, the, sometimes in the Old Testament, it wasn't just a place. There was the odd exception. Some people were empowered by the Spirit. And I think there was a guy called uh, Benuel, Benuel, who was empowered by the Spirit for creative work. I, I love that. There's an innovation, particularly, that I think the Spirit brings. And then just a couple more, and these are maybe the biggies. Spirit-empowered churches are both churches of word and spirit. I was chatting to Josh in the car the other night, and and, uh, he said, yeah, we're trying to build a church of the word and spirit. And he said something like, we're trying not to give people the option of labeling labeling us either a word church or a spirit church. We want to keep them guessing. Enough said. Just word, you'll grow up. Uh, Just spirit, you'll blow up. Word and spirit, you'll grow up. The same, uh, <laughs> give me a bit. <laughs> um, the, same, the same Paul who wrote the mighty book of Romans uh, would heal people with his handkerchief and, and similar. Word and spirit. Uh, as shadow, so it goes. Gospel and spirit is the next one. Listen, listen to... Uh, can I just take it for granted that we love the power of the gospel? I mean, the, the, the revolution in recent years of how Jesus Christ and him crucified is the power not just to get saved but stay saved. It's not the a, just the ABC, it's the XYZ. It's not just the door, how we enter, but it's the corridor The gospel doesn't just deliver us from the ultimate penalty of sin, but daily from the power of sin. Christ and him crucified. 
It is just so powerful. I've written a book on it, Gospel Revolution. It's just so powerful. The gospel, the power of the gospel. And what, ha- what can happen is, as we rightly get so thrilled with a fresh awareness of the power of the gospel, we, we can forget the kind of other power source of the Spirit. And it's funny, some churches that are just rubbish at understanding the gospel, they think it's for the day you get saved and then beyond that, you just need the Spirit. But churches who are, who are very weak on the gospel are often way ahead of us when it comes to drawing on the Spirit's power. They don't know about that, so they're better with this. And those who know about the power of the gospel can go a bit soft and dry on the power of the Spirit. Now, it, it's, it's gospel and spirit. We don't have to choose. This is the glory of the, the breadth of the Trinity and the power of God. We don't have to choose. So listen, Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the, not the gospel. Now, I'm not setting up a dichotomy here, a false dichotomy. Obviously, within the gospel is the spirit, and part of the spirit's work is to bring the gospel. But just for the sake of trying to emphasize some of the poles that we can end up in, just give me a bit of latitude on this. Galatians 5.16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify your sinful nature. But then we see Paul so often writing about how Jesus Christ and him crucified helps us not gratify our sinful natures. So when he's going for generosity, Paul, um, to the Corinthians, he says, remember him who was rich, for your sakes became poor, that you might become ultimately rich. I'm not commanding you to give money. We just remember Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he's doing there is he's helping us not gratify the sinful nature of, of lack of generosity by focusing, on the, focusing us on the power of the gospel. Now, I can give you many. Husbands, love your wives as? Yeah, he doesn't say be filled with the Spirit so you can love your wife. He's, he says, think of Jesus. Think of Jesus so you can love your wife. But here we've got Paul, and we can't just forget these verses. So many places he's writing about the Spirit, and he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will be able to love your wife. You will be unselfish. You will be generous. It's like this other power source of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the gospel is, oh no, it's not, it's the fruit of the Spirit. I'm just being a bit facetious, but you get it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So I can pray for Owen. Lord, more of the Holy Spirit on this man, that'll make him more loving and peaceful, etc., etc. Another day I might pray, God, might he see the love of God represented in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And might that help him to love Donnie more? But the next I'll say, Lord, might this man know the power of your spirit that he might love Donnie more? We can pray both prayers. Do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Well, one day I might preach on on how intoxication with Christ and him crucified, that I'm not the punished one he is, how that empowers me, that intoxicates me not to get intoxicated. But another week I, I can preach, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, instead understand the gospel better. No, he says... Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, understand the spirit better. So we've got gospel and spirit. 
word and spirit. Now we've got mission and spirit. This is a biggie, isn't it? The spirit is given for so many things. Maybe the biggest reason is for mission. I think I would say that. I'm thinking really of Jesus saying, don't go. I'm thinking really of how Jesus started his ministry. Luke 4, the spirit of God is on me to heal and bind up. You know, he starts his ministry with the spirit is for mission. And he, he, on the back end, he says, don't start your mission. Don't leave Jerusalem. Don't, don't do mission until you receive the spirit. So I think I'm comfortable saying the main reason the spirit is given for mission, but only just because the Spirit is given, for, given to us for so many things. And it's, it's, it's so reductionist, and I think actually unhelpful, to just make Spirit synonymous with mission. It's a cop-out. It's not even charismatic with a seatbelt. It's charismatic without a car. It's, 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 it's not even in the zone. Because we just, you think of the things Jesus said in John about the work of the Spirit. He will be your counselor and helper. And the sense of assurance as by the Spirit you can say, Abba, Father. And you think of the myriad of fruits and gifts of the Spirit. Just to play the Spirit equals mission drum is, is so reductionist. But to not play the big bass drum of Spirit is for mission is, is so weak as well. I've noticed that too little spirit or too much spirit both can hinder mission. Of course, you can never, there's no such thing as too much spirit, but stay with me. So too, too much spirit, if there's too much by that, if, I mean, if there's too much pursuit of experience, that can distract from the pursuit of souls. If it's a centra, centripetal model, and let's have have revival break out in our meetings, then people will come. You can put so much effort in making your meetings better and better and more and more filled with the Holy Spirit so that people will come and it never really happens. You can distract from genuine mission. I think waiting for revival or just going after revival in your meetings so that people will come, I think that's lazy man's religion. I think Jesus, the revelation of the Spirit's power is so that we're, we're empowered to go. Uh, let's, have, let's have brilliant meetings as well, but don't, don't wait in Jerusalem until you'll be empowered by the Spirit to go. And if you're too experience-focused, too meeting-focused, you, you can get distracted from mission by going. You can also be insensitive, you know, because the Spirit has touched you, touched you in such a wonderful way that you just think, if my unsaved mates just get touched by the Spirit in that same way, they will fall on their face and say, Jesus is Lord. And they may. I'm just saying the glorious privilege we have of experiencing the Spirit, which we just, oh, by the way, you know, when we're here and there aren't unbelievers in the room, it's particularly easy and nice to go in that direction. We can just get insensitive back in our local churches if it's all about the experience. Too little, well, the Spirit is given permission. The Spirit is the one who converts and regenerates people. It's not us. To, to kind of, to, you know, have a bit of a, you know, keep out Holy Spirit or to appoint Holy Spirit in terms of mission is silly because he is the only power source for getting anyone saved. 1 Corinthians 14, which is a great instruction about wise use of the Spirit. And wouldn't it be great if some of our churches 
got to the place when we needed to really read 1 Corinthians 14 to limit us as, as opposed to provoke us. But it's very provocative. It says things like, um, if you, I'm paraphrasing, but if you use the prophetic gift right, unsaved people will come in amongst you and fall down on their face and say, Jesus is Lord. And uh, I've found this, that we found this, that when we bring unsaved friends along to church and unsaved family members along to church, I don't know if it's the same for you, but the first time we get them along, you've got the cuckoo, you've got the crazy person doing something. I mean, we've had some just hysterical experiences. It's laugh or cry. On that day, it's cry, but then you laugh weeks later. So we took this, this couple along. We sat, we weren't leading the ch- that church. We took them along, sat in the back to be sensitive to them, thinking we're safe at the back. Mrs. Crazy, tongue-talking, non-stop tongue. I like speaking in tongues. But non-stop insensitive, when no one else is singing or talking in tongues, she's going off. Was it the row behind us or the row in front of us? It was just unbelievable. You think you're safe in the back. <laughs> And she just can't I mean, it's just relentless. And then we drove home with them afterwards, and we said, what did you think? You know, we, we just wanted to say, sorry about that. We're not all like that. You know how it is. But we just trusted Jesus. What did you think? They didn't even mention her. They said, um, well, I like what the preacher had to say and how he said it. I thought the worship leader didn't help us to feel... Uh, secure and safe. Once we got into a song, it was okay, but he's obviously very new to it. You know, they're using completely non He's obviously very new to it. <laughs> and, and we said, right, and you know that lady who was speaking in a strange language? Said, oh, yeah, tongues. <laughs> um, yeah, that. Um, what, what did you think of that? Do you know what he said? He said, oh, in any community anywhere, you get some people who are a bit extreme. And on we talked about something else. And, and we've had this, as, we've, we've had it honestly, time and again, that a prophetic word comes, and admittedly in our church, we, we take time to explain, not over-explain, because you're always on the back foot, but explain if something overtly charismatic happens. Um, my other friend, Steve, said, um, said to me, he said, no, that stuff doesn't faze me. If God's real, you're going to have that kind of stuff. He's still not a believer. He's instructing us. <laughs> Eager and intelligent. Uh, so how do I come out in this one? I come out like this. We need lots of spirit with lots of power, with lots of thought and wisdom. Final section, section three, um, spirit-empowered individuals. Just, to, just to, I think the main, th- main thing it's good to log on this is... What happens at conversion by the Spirit? And then what happens post-conversion by the Spirit, if anything? So let's look at conversion. Let me just uh, read out four verses. The first one is John 3, verse 5. This is the Spirit at conversion. And uh, can I just say, if you're very excited, maybe we could just divide up the room here. This center is the moment of conversion. Or this side's conversion here on as post-conversion in, in your life. Those of us who are particularly excited about this, the work of the Spirit here, need to get really excited about the work of the Spirit here. 
And the work of the Spirit here is extraordinary. John 3, 5, we are born again by the Spirit. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8 says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you're over here and you're all about the the post-conversion filling or fillings, you might be, to justify your passion for here, you might be tempted to minimize the work of the Spirit at conversion. The Bible doesn't allow you to do that. And those of us who love the spirit of conversion, let's love the spirit of conversion. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The work of the spirit in our lives is massive. All these prophecies from the Old Testament about the age of the spirit, it can't just refer to the meeting that you get laid hands on and filled with the spirit. It's the age of the spirit, this regeneration by the spirit. 2 Thessalonians 2 we're saved through the sanctification, saved through sanctification by the Spirit. Ephesians 1.13, we are sealed with the Spirit. The Spirit vacpacks me forever. I'm sealed, vacuum packed by the Spirit forever. It is remarkable. At conversion, we don't just turn over a new leaf. By the Spirit, we're made into a whole new creation. And I think as um, those... those those of us who proclaim the gospel, all of us as proclaimers of the gospel in whatever context, I think we, 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 we do well to make much of the work of the Spirit when we're addressing unbelievers and trying to help them to cross the line of faith. Yes, it's repentance, isn't it? You repent and you believe that Jesus is Lord and you get made new by the Spirit. If it's just repent and believe, it can be, I mean, it's glorious, right? But it can be a little bit oh, I've got to repent, and I've got to believe. And we try to start people on a grace-based faith, but by mistake, we're actually dry, because they haven't got the capacity to get that actually they've been elected. All they hear is repent, which is very good for them to hear and do. And they believe, okay, so to become a Christian, I repent, and I believe in Jesus. We do poorly to leave out the third bit, which is, and you are made new by God. I mean, it's an irresistible combination. You're an unbeliever sitting here, and you get told the spirit of the creator God will come into you. And in a flash, you realize, oh, I will be empowered not to do that, that, and that. Without, without us emphasizing that, he can think, oh, I, just don't, I don't know if I'll ever have the willpower. We do well to make much of the spirit's work at conversion. But then you think, because of the thorough mighty things that the spirit said the bible says about what the spirit does at conversion kind of logically we might think well you got the spirit at conversion that's it and i like that because i wanted i want to emphasize the massive work of the spirit at conversion we're in christ sanctified sealed by the spirit regenerate by the spirit wow but interestingly without any sense of embarrassment or contradiction the Bible then talks a lot about post-conversion Holy Spirit activity, which I'm so grateful for. I mean, I'm so grateful for what happens at conversion. But then to think that that's it. I need a dynamic daily, not seeking of experience, but just the thought that, that God's actively at work in me by his Spirit and his Word can't believe this Christianity thing. It's fantastic. So 
what verses could we look at? Well, let's start with Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul's writing to believers there. Why didn't he just say, don't get drunk on wine? He's just nudging them. Come on, be being filled with the Spirit. Isn't he great? He doesn't, he doesn't just say, stop, stop getting hammered. He says, come on, lean into the Holy Spirit more. Acts 6 and other places, uh, I'm thinking of Acts 11, Acts 6 and Acts 11, they chose leaders, and one of the characteristics they said look for in leaders was to being full of the Holy Spirit. Implication being, you can have two believers, and one is less full of the Spirit than the other. They say, pick leaders who are more full of the Spirit. It speaks of we can be fuller of the Spirit. There's a theological distinction between what happens to me by the Spirit at conversion and what happens to me by the Spirit in an ongoing way. There's overlap. Same Holy Spirit. But the Bible's clear. There's... But then, yeah, here's another one, Acts 4.8. Then Peter, filled with the Spirit, stood up and said. This is the guy who's just been slam-dunked by the Spirit in Acts 2. And now we've got an instance where he was especially filled with the Spirit. Acts 8, if you'd like to turn there, I'll read it. So if you're taking notes and you can't turn, that's all right, but it's, uh, it's one to log. Acts eight fourteen to 16. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, if you want to track on this one, Got it? The guys in Jerusalem hear that people in Samaria had received the word of God. We know that that's synonymous with receiving the good news of Jesus. Sometimes the early chapters of Acts speak about the spread of Christianity as the word of God advancing. When those in Samaria had received the word of God, heard that they'd received, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's, this is narrative. Sometimes narrative can just help so much with theology. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They'd been baptized. They, they were saved. They, we were, they were regenerate. Conversion had happened. Yet Peter and John's passion was to check that they didn't think that was. That was uh, it in terms of the Spirit. Then Acts 19. Do you remember that one? Paul shows up and he finds some disciples. And do you remember his question to them? Did you receive the... When you believed? So some, some people say, you know, you can't use that because it turns out they're just, you know, John's baptism and so on. But, but the question is more important than the answer. You've got Paul here saying, Brian, um, you've believed, right? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He might have been thinking of Cornelius. Remember in Cornelius' situation, conversion happened, but then there was a falling of the Spirit simultaneously, or maybe it was one second apart, I don't know. There's probably people in this room who would say, you know, when I was converted, um, I know I was regenerate by the Spirit, but 
the kind of experience that people talk about post-conversion happened to me at conversion as well. You, a, bit, a bit like the Cornelius thing. It's more commonly, you've got Samaria and you've got here. The question's very important. And it's a question I think we should ask each other. As churches, we, should, we can ask questions. Um, you, you believers, how are you doing on the Holy Spirit? Seems to be this distinction between the indwelling, regeneration, and later fillings. So we've got conversion and we've got after conversion. I want to encourage us, brothers and sisters, to be men and women thrilled with the work of the Spirit at conversion and thrilled with the ongoing work of the Spirit. And our language might differ a little bit, you know, in terms of how you describe it, as it filled or baptisms or whatever. That's fine. The point is, we're delighted with this, and we're eager for this. And we're not eager for experiences. I find, I, I, I find if ever I slip into, and I, I don't think I do often these days, if ever I slip into chasing an experience, the Lord graciously doesn't give it to me. <laughs> you know, we don't want to be men and women. <laughs> the foundation of our faith is based on experiences. You know, it's on Jesus, the rock of ages, and then... Often I find when I'm not seeking experiences, uh, the Spirit comes on me so, so kindly. Sometimes in meetings, sometimes alone. Um, last week I was doing a personal retreat and I was listening to hymns. Just love hymns. Makes me realize how good it is for us to sing hymns, the theolo- theological richness of hymns. And I, was, I, was, I borrowed someone's mini, you know, little car. And I was just driving along this road I've just been for a, like a walk. I was now driving back, and it was a rubbish sound system. And it was a very old CD of a very well, old hymn, obviously, but not particularly well done. And I was just minding my own business, listening to the words, thinking of how amazing the atoning work of Jesus is. And the Spirit came on me. And I needed to pull over. And three hours later, three hours later, I was, I was weeping. I was so dehydrated at the end of it. I listened to this double CD of hymns, twi- both twice over. It was like the word and the spirit. I was just, and my heart was so softened. Uh, I just find since then I've, I've just been softer towards God and people. And um, I'm not needing one of those tomorrow. If I get one tomorrow, I'll take it. But I want you to know I'm eager. I'm eager alone and together. I, I don't ever want us just to sing songs on meetings or on Sundays, you know. You know, just love the, t- the, the touch of God and, and the presence of God. And meetings are different. Churches are different. How you outwork it, uh, you know, don't always think Sunday morning. How do you do it all? Let me close out with some just personal benefits. We're on individuals of the Spirit. Um, I'm so grateful for the assurance that I feel that the Holy Spirit brings me. I want you to know I feel rock solid through the Word of God of where my salvation is found. It's based on the word of God, not the encouragement of others, not the work of the spirit or woo feelings. I, I know I'm saved because of this. But you, you know the analogy of um, the father who's walking down the road with his son. He's holding his little son's hands. And the son feels to the depth that he, he knows, he knows that he is his father's son. But then they stop, and the father picks them up. And I do this with, when my boys were younger. Picks their sons up and ravishes him, his sweaty hair, and kisses him. Says, I love you. Ah! 
and puts him down and they walk on. The son knows that he's the son, but there's a new knowing that he has. And I find that I know, I know, but then the spirit helps me know. Then there's, I'm grateful for the power of God. I find, I find when I am fuller of the spirit, I find I'm better at telling people about Jesus. I find I'm more confident and I'm more gracious. I find the spirit does help me be a witness. I find the more Holy Spirit connection we have as a community, the more we want to tell others about how they can have Holy Spirit connection. I find I flow in the gifts of the Spirit more easily the fuller I am of the Spirit. You know, when I'm just a bit dry, not really leaning into the Spirit, more duty than beauty. Thank you for that great phrase, Mike. I just find I'm a bit more dozy on gifts of the Spirit. I might be talking to someone, and it's only later I think, oh, Father, I felt something in that conversation. I could have really helped them. But I was dozy. I look back on a meeting I was participating in. I think I was, I was a bit off the boil. The fruit of the gifts. I kind of think more sap of the spirit, more love, joy, peace, etc. I feel comforted. Like you, we, we've had tough times. I feel the comfort of the spirit. I find the fuller I am of the Spirit, the more I hate sin. I find the less full I am, sin looks a bit more attractive. Now don't forget, Jesus Christ and Him crucified, the power of the gospel, the word. These things help my conscience as well. But I'm talking about the Spirit this morning. And the Spirit helps with those things. So coming into land, how? How can we live in more of the Spirit? Well, some of us would look, we're believers, and we look back to a particular first filling. You might call it the filling. I, I don't have the confidence uh, to call the first one the filling in view of the bee being filled. But equally, if we just settle for, well, it's just an ongoing thing, isn't it? Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, even step with the Spirit, we can lose the urgency of Lord, I really do want to be filled and stay full of, and be filled again with the Spirit, not chasing experiences. So desire is the key thing. Uh, Second tip, don't fear something bad. I know we're, we're mature in the faith, maturing in the faith. You may not need to hear this, but Jesus specifically mentioned this. He said, don't fear. The Holy Spirit is good. You know, if, if you who aren't great earthly fathers, (laughs) give your kids good stuff when they ask you, how much more will the Father give you, the Holy Holy Spirit, to them who ask? Uh, You don't need to be perfect. Like you might might not have, uh, you know, fitted in your daily Bible reading this morning. And the legalist Pharisee in you (laughs) uh, thinks, yes, yes, I shouldn't ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit today. (laughs) It's just crazy, isn't it? It's like we're going to get holy without the help of the Holy Spirit. Good luck. <laughs> um, another tip, you can be filled with the Spirit all by yourself or with other people. Vic, weren't you filled? Didn't you have a double? you still here. Aren't you one of the guys? Or was it Zach? No, I'm going to leave that. Um, forget that. Rewind. Uh, 
Sorry, yeah, scratch that point. Um, anyway, by yourself or with other people. So, so a really good friend of mine, Scott, uh, I led him to the Lord. And I didn't have any grid for the Holy Spirit at, in those days. And about six months after me leading him to the Lord, he comes to see me one day. And he said, he said, last night, I think I got filled with the Holy Spirit. I was sitting on my bed in my room and saying, God, I want more of you. And then I started speaking a language that wasn't English and wasn't Portuguese. You can speak Portuguese. And I, I just, you know, I, I was strong in the word, not strong in the spirit. But together we kind of worked it out. It was probably filled with the spirit. It can happen alone. It can happen in a meeting. It can happen with hands laid on or without hands being laid on. Acts 2, no hands were laid on. They weren't even standing up. They were sitting down. It was like, stand up. Sit down, lie down, alone or together. That said, there is a pattern of hands laying on. For what it's worth, I, I go for shoulders more than heads. You don't want to mess up someone's hair, do you? But just whatever's, whatever's culturally sensitive, you know. I go for shoulder, never push. If anyone pushes you, headbutt them, right? Um, um, I love deliberately, you know, if there's all tinkly music happening when it's time to receive the spirit, I, I, I love it just so, oh, no tinkly music. In fact, you know, you just, you, you, we must just do everything to, to, to think that it's atmosphere. This is, this is God we're, we're dealing with. Um, and... Then the final little tip is, my reading is there's five places when we're told that people get filled with the Spirit in the book of Acts. And three out of five, we're told that they speak in tongues. Four out of five, it's impl- the fourth one, it's implied that he did, Paul, because later he says, I speak in tongues more than you all. But anyway, I'm happy to say that definitely three out of five, probably four out of five, instances it says they spoke in tongues and sometimes it says they prophesied as well so i'm i'm good to say most people when they're filled with the spirit will speak in tongues but i'm very comfortable to saying saying from scripture we we certainly can't say that everybody does and if you don't you're not a you're not a second grade christian i've got particular faith because of the i came into things charismatic kicking and struggling i was a cessationist and one of the ways God spoke to me is, you know that Samaria thing? Peter, Peter and John went down to Samaria. It's a very personal thing. My, my, my first name is Peter John, Peter hyphen John. My parents couldn't decide, so they gave me both names. <laughs> and when I read that, I was still didn't feel I was filled with the Spirit myself. But I, I saw these two guys, Peter and John, helping people in Samaria get filled with the Spirit. And I said, Lord, I just wonder if your, your sovereignty, I was called that, just so I could help people who really don't get the Spirit really come into more of the Holy Spirit in a way that is fairly easy for them because it took me ages and it was so hard and I was just control deal and my theology was so strong in some areas and not so strong in, in this area. But, but tongues is us speaking to God. Uh, prophecy is God speaking to us through us as well. So if you have a tongue in a meeting and there's an interpretation, my hope would be that the interpretation Interpretation would be Godward, would be something worshipful. But then something prophetic is God speaking to us in some way. And also the other, the other confusion with tongues is the Bible seems to, to be very comfortable speaking about people speaking in tongues without interpretation in some contexts. And then in a public context, the gift of tongues and interpretation, um, 
there must always be an interpretation. So personally, I think, there's, I think the dynamic's similar, but personally, from Scripture and experience, I feel that the gift of tongues we many receive when they're filled with the Holy Spirit is more of a personal prayer and praise language. And that doesn't always mean that you should be the one bringing a public tongue uh, or an interpretation. So very often, and I'd encourage you to go for that, and the best tip on tongues, well, for me, how it works is hanging out in North Carolina, I've learned quite a lot more about weapons. Sometimes when I, when I praise God, I kind of fire off pot shots. You know, God, you are wonderful. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You're this, you're this. And I can, I can shoot for about five minutes, but I, I, when, I, when I worship God in tongues... Um, alone or sometimes in a room if everyone's doing it, I feel like I've got a big fat AR and I can just go, Grrr. it's like from my heart. Do you know what I, I mean on that? So I don't have, you know, tongues, your mind is unfruitful. Your mind's not completely unaware, but there's just a wonderful, you know, as opposed to, I love worshiping, singing the spirit. Sing in the spirit and in the understanding. I love that. I don't want to get weird, but sometimes with Ash, and I say, your hair is beautiful, you're amazing, you're by far the best wife, your skin, you're just amazing. And then I just think, oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Our tongues isn't like that, because not, there's nothing sexual or kinky about it, you know, please. But just trying to find words for it. It's a wonderful... O- overflow, you know, and of course it needs to be wisely used and uh, all, all of that, of course, of course. So how would we, we close out? Celebrate your rebirth by the Spirit. Don't look back on your, your uh, first filling if you've had one wistfully and thinking that's it. Some people, maybe in the Deep South particularly, have their, in the front of their Bible, the day I got converted and the day I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's it. <laughs> they look back to those days. Oh, the good old days. Oh. No, no. We, we, we eagerly desire the person, power, presence, fruit, gifts of the Spirit be being filled.